Hey, come on, just staying in that moment, man. I just, I just want to read from Philippians 4, and I just think when you really grasp the powerful name of Jesus over anxiety and over depression and over fear and over worry and over concern, that you, that you really would grasp a hold of Jesus. I love my favorite line is Jesus for my family. Like, that's my favorite line of that. I know that we speak his name over our enemy and anything the enemy would have and over anxiety and depression. And what is it when you really begin to speak Jesus over your family? My marriage, Jesus, take hold of my marriage. Jesus, take hold of me as a parent. Jesus, take hold of my children. What is it like Jesus will be over my family and we will speak his name in my marriage. We will speak his name as a parent. I will speak his name over my children. Like church, what is it when Jesus is your family, is, is the name that is over your family? You speak Jesus to your family. I mean, what is it when you see even Philippians 4 when it's just a very well-known passage and it's just so simple. Be anxious for nothing. See here, watch this now. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. How is it that we pray in Jesus' name? How is it that we are commanded scripturally to come before God Almighty? We come in the mighty name of Jesus when we are praying uh, through our, our stress and through the heaviness and through the depression and through the anxiety that we are praying in Jesus' name. I love this. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. Through prayer, supplication with thanksgiving let your request be me we pray in Jesus name God I am feeling anxious God there's something in my soul God I feel contaminated on the inside God I am feeling down God and you you come and you present it to him how in Jesus name the mighty name of Jesus Jesus I speak Jesus to this feeling of anxiety I speak Jesus to this feeling of depression and I bring it to him with thanksgiving. And then I love it. And the peace of God. That's a supernatural peace. Get it? Don't miss this. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding or all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. Anxiety is a mind deal. It starts in your mind, and then if you let it, it sinks down into your heart, but you got to deal with it to guard your heart and you guard your mind with this supernatural peace that comes from praying in Jesus' name that, God, I'm not going to have anxiety and I'm not going to have depression. I'm not going to have worry and I'm not going to have fear and I'm going to speak this in Jesus' name and present it to the Father and then that amazing, beautiful, supernatural peace of God. We've got to make decisions based off of peace, church. Your decisions have to be off of peace. Now, I've got a peace about this. No, God has given me a peace on this decision. And that's supernatural, and therefore, that removes the anxiety, and that removes the fear, and that removes the depression, and that removes that stress. And you know what I'm talking I'm not talking about, like, medical depression. I'm talking about you're going through it, and it's a season, and it's beginning to stir on the inside. You're like, wait a minute, hold on. No, in Jesus' name, I'm going to deal with this allow the peace of God to come and it will guard it will protect your heart and your mind watch this I want you to get this because then it tells us what to do with your heart and your mind finally brother whatever is true honorable right pure lovely 
What is of a good report? Stop talking negative. What is of a good report? If there's anything that is excellent and anything worthy of praise, mind, dwell on these things. Where's the anxiety coming from? Where's the depression coming from? Where's that stress coming from? Well, get your mind right. Philippians 4, 8. These things dwell on. If it's not these things, if they don't fall under this category, then anxiety, stress, fear, depression can creep in. But in Jesus' name, we speak over those things. And we put our mind right. And we allow the peace of God to supernaturally protect our mind and guard our mind. We make decisions based off of that peace to know, no, I'm good. No, it's the right call. No, it's the right decision. I'm good. How do you know? Because I've got the peace of God. And church, what a great place to be. What a great place to be. Come on, I want Renee to pray, but if you just bow your heads, just, just for a moment, man, bow your heads. You're here. Maybe you're online. Or maybe you're driving right now and you're on the radio and you're listening through our dear friends at WDCX and it's just like, God, this is for me right now. Right now, this is for me. This is why I tuned in. This is why I came to church today. I needed this. Just with your heads bowed, I want you to hear this again. Let me just speak the word over you. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplications, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's through prayer. That's in Jesus' name. And the peace of God, supernatural which surpasses all comprehension will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good report, if there is anything excellent and worthy of praise, dwell on these things. We thank you, Lord. We just thank you for your Holy Spirit, your presence in this place today, Lord. And we just give you all glory. We thank you, Lord, that you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. The Bible says to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you shall be saved. We thank you, Lord that your word became flesh and dwelt among us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is healer, that he is our deliverer. We thank you for the power in the name of Jesus, Lord. We thank you that your word tells us, Lord, that your angels even hearken unto the voice of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we can speak the name of Jesus and that angels will come to minister to us and to be with us, Lord. We thank you that your Holy Spirit comforts us and stands by us and advocates for us seated at the right hand of the Father. We thank you that Jesus is there with the Father interceding on our behalf even now. We thank you, God, that greater are you in us than he who is in the world. And we thank you, Lord, that we know that, God, you said that faith pleases you, Lord. Without faith, it is impossible to please you. So, God, I just pray right now, Father, for a spirit of wisdom and understanding, Father. We thank you, Lord, that as the word of God goes forth today, Father, that you would anoint 
anoint Pastor Sean to speak your word with boldness, Father God, that it will bring deliverance, it will bring healing, it will bring salvation, Lord. It will bring the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, Father. That you, oh God, would give us that spirit of revelation to understand, Father, to fully grasp the height, the width, the depth, the, the, the greatness, Lord, of your word and how you never leave us, you never forsake us, Lord. You said that you have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. And we thank you, Lord, we don't walk in fear, we walk by faith. We thank you, God, that, Lord, we know that, God, you will guide us and direct us, Father, that you will make our path straight, Lord, that the line for us falls in pleasant places, Lord, that we are your people and you are our God, and we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord in this place all the day long, Father. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, that your presence brings joy. We thank you, Father. Lord God, that anxiety has to go in the name of Jesus, Father. All depression has to go now in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we can cast all of our cares on you because you care for us, Lord. That, God, we can leave all anxiety here today, Father God. That we just right now, Father, in unity, Father, in harmony now, Father, I just pray, God, that everyone will just cast every care, every anxiety now at the feet of Jesus, Lord. That we leave it here, Father, that we don't walk out with it today, Father, that we are delivered from all anxiety, all depression. We speak the name of Jesus over it. We thank you, Father, right now, Father, that it goes in the name of Jesus. We call on the name of Jesus right now for the lost to be saved. We call on the name of Jesus for every sick person to be healed in this place, to walk out healed in the name of Jesus, Father. And we give you the praise and the glory right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, baby. Praise the Lord. Hey, come on, if you would, turn to me. Judges chapter 6, please. Big Dave, thank you, my brother. Come on, man. You and your shaved head. I mean, your wife knows how good looking you are, right? Like, she knows, right? Melissa knows the, the game. She knows what's up. She knows she married a stud. I get it. I understand that. Like, we're on the same team. Dave, I get it. He runs away. It's hilarious. Like, I'm out. Come on, we're glad you're here this morning. We're glad you're online. We're glad you're listening on the radio. Uh, we, we are in this series called Do Hard Things. Last week we started with Esther, and then we've got just some simple Bible characters that we're going to go through that did hard things because they simply just walked in the obedience of God. God said, and they did, and it was a hard thing, but they realized, like, if God is for me, who can be against me? They got that. If God is for me, who cares if man is against me? Like, what is man going to do to me when I'm truly for God and God is for me? Like, when you see that biblically, then there is this shift that takes place in our soul to say, no, I can do hard things. Like, you know, if God has called you to do a hard thing, we know God's not going to abandon you in order for you to do it by yourself. But he walks with us and he'll be with us and he'll see us through. And it'll be his mighty hand that works through that hard thing. We saw that with Esther last week. Today, we're going to talk about Gideon. And Gideon's kind of like that. It's like that easy preach. Like, there's things that are like, you got to work through to preach. And it's like, oh, this is deep. And this is, whoo, this is like, like when, you, when a preacher preaches on Gideon, it's like, ah, this is like, easy preach. Like, we've got this, this guy named Gideon, and we're just going to preach, man. It's like, yes! It's like that encouraging, encouraging word from Gideon. And it's kind of one of those easy preach, but I don't want you to miss it, because you've heard this story so much. I want to dig into this, and I want you to see that God had called Gideon to do a hard thing. The series is called Do Hard Things. The title to this message are, What are the Odds? 
Anyone ever play that game, what are the odds, when you look at something and say, the odds are against me, right? And this is the title to this message, or what are the odds? And when you see that Gideon's back was against the wall, the odds were not in his favor. And God's like, hey, Gideon, stop looking at the numbers and start looking at me. See, the story is just a simple story. Gideon, part of the, 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 part of the chosen people of God from Israel, chosen people of God failed miserably, did their own thing. Gideon was a part of that clan. Gideon starts out as just this weak little um, no one from nowhere hiding in a wine press. God says, you're a mighty warrior. He did wonderful, amazing, mighty things for God. And then Gideon doesn't do great things at the end. Like Gideon's not good at the beginning. He's amazing in the middle. Like, yes, mighty warrior. And then to close out Gideon, he didn't end well. He actually ended <coughs> where he began, serving false gods. So that's kind of the, the Gideon story. Like, I'm not saying, oh, be like Gideon. I'm not saying that. Because Gideon was weak, then he was strong, and then he was weak. And what made him weak was, was putting God on the back plate and putting the false gods first, right? So, so in that, that's the big story. But in that, we've got to see why is it that we have this in this series called Do Hard Things, right? Do hard things. And I want to pick it up right in the very beginning, man. This is, this is Judges chapter 6. This is, um, you'll see, if you go through the book of Judges, you'll see that Judges spans about 350 years. It's kind of a long time. Like, like sometimes when you read the Bible, you read it and you think, oh, that's a great chapter. Until you dig in and say, oh, wow, that's like a long time. Like that's a long span of time, Right? Gideon, not Gideon, Judges is about 350 year span through this whole book of all the judges and, and this judge served for 40 years and this judge served for 40 years and like it goes through a long span of time. And here we're, we're, in, the, we're in this judge named Gideon. And when you think judge being a policeman, I think like black robe, gavel, guilty. Like that's what I think, right? Like a judge of a people of right and wrong. That's not necessarily the way it was for the Old Testament. Like at times when God called judges, it was more of that military leader. It was more that one that's leading the charge to do what God's called them to do. That, that's in this case, this is Gideon. He's not the black robe, gavel, guilty. This is, this is Gideon. God is calling him to judge the people in a sense of leading them in military strategy. That, that's what this call is. So come on, let's just pick it up. Let's see where the children of Israel are. Let's see what condition they are in. Let's find out why they're in this condition, and we're going to find out God's call on Gideon's life for this season. Verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Here we go. Here we go. You ready? All right, four of you are ready. Are you ready? Nah, that's my 11 o'clock. That's my 11 o'clock. Let's go. Then the sons of Israel, these are God's chosen people. Keep that in mind through this story. God's chosen people. This is after the 40 years in the wilderness. This is after they've entered into the promised land, conquered the promised land, lived in the promised land. So here, they've, they've been freed from slavery from, from Egypt. They've disobeyed God, walked in wilderness for 40 years, have entered into the promised land through Joshua, their leader. And now, here we go. Sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of, of God. Man, when you read that, you're like, ah, 
Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then here's the bad part of that. Our response, the, the, the sons of Israel, people, their response was to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And God's response to that is this. And the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midians seven years. Okay, God's chosen people did evil in the sight of God. That's their decision. That's through their choices. And what did it look like? Let me just unpack it quick. We'll get into this. What was it to do evil in the sight of the Lord? Number one, they lost their identity. They forgot that they were God's chosen people. Number one, lost their identity. Number two, they went after false gods, right? They went after idols. And they, 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 they lost their identity. They went after false idols. And then third, they, they intermarried. They, they got in with people they should not have gotten into and gotten in with, and they intermarried. So this is, this is what this is. You've got, they lost their identity. They've got into idolatry. And then they intermarried and started being with people that was their enemies. So watch this now. This is what it says. Then the sons of Israel did evil. It was in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midian. Midian was their, their enemies, right, for seven years. God's like, fine, you want to do it your way? Do it your way. This is what God's saying. You want to do it your way? God's like, okay. You want to walk in disobedience? You want to forget who you belong to? I freed you. You want to forget all that? You want to walk in idolatry? You want to put false gods before you? You want to do that? I, I called you out from these people, but you want to marry these people and be a part of them. You want to do that? God's like, okay. You're free to do that. But there's consequences to that. God's like, you're such a fan of your enemies. I'm going to have them come in full force. It's not going to go well for you. Church, what happens when we get it? Like, okay, God, uh, if we try to do it our own way and not your way, when do we realize it's not going to go well for us as his, as his children, right? As the church. And he just says this. And the power of the Midian prevailed against Israel because the Midian, the sons of Israel, made for themselves, because of the Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains, the caves, and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no substance, that means nothing to live on, in Israel as well as no sheep and no donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come in like locusts for number. Both them and their camels were innumerable, and they came in to land and devastated it. Guys, like, all right, you want to do it your way? Okay. And then the enemy came in, so much so that God's chosen people, who once took this land as their own, are now hiding in caves. Get it? They're hiding in caves. So much so that the Midians, the Amalekites, the armies of the east would come in. And the Bible calls them like locusts in number. What do locusts do? 
they swarm in, they eat everything they can, leave everything devastated, and then they fly off. This is what this company was doing. This company of the enemy would go into Israel territory, just devastate the area. They would kill all the livestock. They would take all the food. They would take everything and just leave it bare, not caring one bit about the children of Israel. But they were like locusts. You couldn't count how, how many of the army would come in. It was innumerable. And they would come in like locusts and just destroy the land. This is God's chosen people hiding in caves hiding their livestock, hiding their food. This was not the plan of God. This was not the plan of God. God's plan is you're my chosen people. I've taken you out of slavery. I've prepared a land, spoken to Abraham. I've prepared a land for you, and it's the promised land, and it flows with milk and honey. I'm going to go in. I'm going to take out your enemy. And he gave him a couple rules. Do not intermarry. Take out all of the enemy. Take them out. Don't leave any of them left. And they didn't do that, and now they have to fight the remnant of what they didn't take out. Watch this, verse 6. So these people, God's chosen people, are just a devastated people. They're a devastated people. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian. So what happened when, when finally, just finally they got to the bottom? Church, we've been there where you just hit rock bottom. You know, you know, God, I am not fulfilling the plan you've called me to in my life. And God, it's not going well. It's not going good. God, I know that I've rejected truth. I know that I've walked in my way. God, I know that I've made this thing about me. Church, what happens? Rule number one is not about you. Your Christian walk, you're walking obedience to God. You being truly born again. When you realize, man, I am saved. I am forever eternal life with God Almighty because of what he did for me. But now it's me about serving him, which means it's no longer about me, but it's about me serving him. Church, that's our life. We serve God. When you realize it's not about me, but when you make it about you, that's when God's like, okay, good luck. And then you hit rock bottom. Many of us have. And you lift your eyes up and you say, God, I need you. I get it. We are devastated people. And they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent a messenger. He, meant a, he sent a prophet. Verse 8, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And then he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Well, I love this. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. It was I, this is a reminder, right? It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. Look at I delivered you. God is like, hey, hey guys, I did that. Like I did, like church, why is it that we take communion? Because Jesus says, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. I cannot forget the work of the cross. I know what Jesus did for me. I understand the price that was paid. It drives me to love him back. It drives me to walk in obedience. It drives me to worship him. I will remember what Jesus did for me. I know the price. And God's like, hey, listen, it was I who delivered you. I brought you up out of Egypt. I took care of Pharaoh for you. I delivered you out of slavery. I called you to freedom. 
This, this is God through a prophet reminder to the people, I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hand of all your oppressors and disposed them before you and gave you their land. I did that. Watch this, verse 10. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God, and you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. What? I did all of this for you, but you did not obey me. You are my chosen people. I told you to destroy and get rid of all the false gods. And I told you to stay true to me alone. They lost their identity. They followed after false idols and false gods. And they intermarried and made a mess. They made a mess when God said, stay away from these people. God says, you did not obey me. And then we see this heat up a little bit, and it says this. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, and it belonged to Joash, the Abzerite, and his son Gideon. I love this. So you've got father and son, and we realize that they're farmers. So here you've got still, you've got these people that are under depression, these people that are hiding in caves. And we see this. Don't miss this. Then it says, the angel of the Lord came. And there are several times in the scripture that we see this. And I believe this to be true. If you study this, this is an incarnate picture of Jesus Christ. Listen, we believe in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. We, we believe that. We believe that God, three parts who are one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three eternal. Have always been, always will be. How do we know that Jesus didn't start in Matthew, right? Jesus didn't start from, from the virgin birth. This is when Jesus, who is God, put on flesh, right, and became human. This, this is what Jesus did through the virgin birth. This is not Jesus' beginning, right? We've got to see that, right? We see several times in the Old Testament where Jesus actually makes an appearance here on the earth to specific individuals, and we believe that this is one of those appearances of Christ. Before he became put on flesh, he made appearances to those specific in scripture. So here we see this. We believe this. This is Jesus showing up as an angel speaking to Gideon. And the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak and the Ophrah, which belonged to Joash and his son Gideon. Watch, where's Gideon? High in a mountain, being strong, being a warrior. No, he's hiding, being a coward, and he's beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. So why would he be beating out wheat in the wine press. A wine press was usually at ground level, maybe even dug in a little bit. It's this huge pit where they would pour the grapes in, step on the grapes, beat the grapes, and they would make their wine out of that, and that's ground level. What would you do with wheat, right? Wheat had chaff to it. Chaff is the bad stuff. Chaff is the stuff that, that, that makes wheat bad, right? So they would take it up, most likely on a hill for all to see on a windy day, and they would beat the wheat, and the wind would take the shaft, which was lighter than the wheat, and the wind would blow away the shaft. So doing what he was doing, he should have been in wide open wind air, most likely at the top of a hill for everyone to see, but he's afraid of the Midianites that they're going to come and take all of his wheat. So here he is hiding, coming out of the caves, hiding in a wine press, trying to hide his food. This is how bad it was. 
this is how bad it was. And Jesus, angel of the Lord, comes and sits at a tree, and he's watching Gideon. And then watch this. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where did all the miracles that our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, don't miss this, and given us into the hand of the Midian. Let me read this again because we play the blame game even with God. Right? We play the blame game even with God. Like Gideon's in this sourpuss little time where he's hiding in this wine press, coming out from the cave, going, hey, let the Lord be with you, O valiant warrior. Really, it doesn't feel like the Lord is with me. Where has God been? This is his question. Oh, if you're with me, then where are all the miracles that our fathers told us about? We know about being freed from Egypt. We know it took the 10 plagues. We know about the splitting of the sea. We know about the cloud and the fire. Well, where are you now? If you really are for us, where have you been? And he says, the Lord has abandoned us. Church, have you ever been in a situation where you're a part of something and you know the whole story? Like you were there the whole time. You're a witness to the whole story. And then someone recounts the story to you, but they leave out part of it. And you're like, nah, nah, it didn't really go down that way. No, that's not really the whole story. Could you imagine when Gideon's going, well, where is God? Like he abandoned us. Could you imagine Jesus going, well, it really didn't go down that way, Gideon. <laughs> that's not really the whole story. That's not really the truth. Like, church, I'm sure you've been there. You've seen it. You've seen the whole thing unfold. Someone comes and gives a part that benefits them, but it's not the whole story. And you're like, actually, you know, I was there for the whole thing. I saw the whole thing. And your recollection of that, it's just wrong. It didn't happen that way. Because, church, it didn't happen that way. Gideon's playing the blame game on God. We are devastated. I have to hide my food. We are the freed people of God. What happened? Church, let's look at this in Deuteronomy. Please keep your finger in Judges. Let's go to Deuteronomy. I want you to, I want you to see the whole story here. It's important that we unpack the whole story because I, I, I think sometimes, I think sometimes we are either not giving the whole story and we react to something that we don't have the whole story and we're wrong in doing that. Or we know the whole story and we realize it's our fault, but yet we want to blame somebody. And how many times does God Almighty become the easy target? When we started Judges 6 with, and the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he gave them over. You want to do it your way? Fine. Imagine that there's a point where God pursues and he pursues and he pursues. 
And we keep doing it our way. We keep doing it our way. We keep disobeying. We keep disobeying. We keep doing our way. He's like, fine, you do it your way. And then when it goes so desperately wrong, come on, God, where have you been? Church, when you see in Deuteronomy 30, this is the promise, and it's right before they're, they're going into the promised land. They've gone through the wilderness. This is right before they're going to the promised land. God tells Moses, bro, you're not in. You're not going to make the promised land. Give your last charge to your people. Joshua's going to take over. He's the one that's going to take them in. So they've gone through the 40 years. God went in to Egypt, set his people free, his chosen people for freedom out of slavery. They blew that, right? You get a pattern from the children of Israel, right? God set them free. You're my people. They're like, oh, great, 10 plagues. And then first sign of trouble, like, oh, we want to go back to slavery. God's like, what is wrong with you? And then they walk in disobedience. They don't go into the promised land when God charges them to go into the promised land. Say, God says, I've got this. Just go in. You know the story. The 12 come back. 10 have a terrible report. Two have a God report. The 10 went out and God's like, fine. Your choice. You're fine. Do it your way. You're going to walk in the wilderness for 40 years. Oh, bad choice. And then we get to this place where they're about to go in. God's like, Moses, tell him, you choose life or death. I have called you to life, but you choose life or death. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See that I have set before you today life and prosperity. Like you're, just, you're right there. You've gone through the 40 years. You've got a second chance. It's, it's right there. I have put before you today life and prosperity, death and adversary. He says this, adversity. In, in that I commanded you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. If you choose life and prosperity, you do it through this, loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his commandments. Watch this now, verse 17. But if your heart turns away, and they're crazy, if you do this, then you'll receive this. But if you do this, and amazing that God leaves it to choice, if you do this, then this is what you're going to receive. And he just, he just maps it all out. Church, this is the whole story. Gideon's going, you abandon us. God's like, eh, that's not the way it really works. Because this is the whole story. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. Verse 19, and I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and the curse. 
So choose life in order that you may live and your descendants. I love this. And your descendants. Highlight that. Underline that. And your descendants. Church, it's generation to generation. We've got to get this. It's It's not just about you. And it's not just about this time now. It's about what you're doing now in obedience to God that lives on for generation to generation. Like when you understand that, you realize that Gideon's in a different generation from this. And Gideon's generation didn't choose life and prosperity. Gideon's generation chose false gods. That's the whole story. They chose not to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But they did choose to not walk in the identity of God. They did choose not to love God and to worship him, but to worship false God. That was their choice. And God's promise reigns true, then you'll perish. This is the whole story. And when you see some of you are like, Sean, when are we going to get to the good news about Gideon doing a hard thing? <laughs> We're getting there. We're get, I promise you he did a hard thing, and it's amazing. But we'll hit it in a second. You've got to get to the backstory of why he's hiding in a wine press and why he's blaming God for his troubles when that's not the whole story. God's like, it never had to be this way. Church, you ever go through it and you realize, ah, it didn't have to be this way. I caused this. I made a choice. I'm the one who brought this upon myself. It didn't have to be this way. Church, it didn't have to be this way for Gideon. It didn't have to be this way for the, for the children of Israel, right? So come on, real quick, Joshua 24. Here we go. So, so Moses gives this pitch, right? They go in, and they're, they're going into the promised land. It's amazing. They're conquering. And then, and then Joshua gives this pitch. It says, listen, you got to choose this day whom you will serve. You want to serve the, your, your, the, the gods of your fathers? Go ahead. But he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the sons of Israel make a decision with Joshua. 24, verse 24, and it says this. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God, and we will obey his voice. Here's a generation that said, we get it. Choose life or choose death, and we're going to choose life. And that means we're going to love God. We're going to put aside any false idols. God deserves all of our worship. Our attention is on God. He is going to be our first. They got it. They said, Joshua, we're on your team. We just want to serve God. And we're going to put away the idols. And they lived in prosperity for all the days of Joshua. That whole generation lived in prosperity and protection of God. And then you get into the book of Judges and you see where it just goes downhill from there. Come on, turn to Judges chapter 2, please. You see, in Judges 2, Joshua dies. And then right after that, verse 11, and then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Guys, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, sometimes church, you just want to grab people and say, what are you doing? You want to read this and say, ah, come on. What are you doing? Church, it takes one generation to completely botch what the past generation worked hard for. This is biblically true. You see it here. 
Joshua's generation, they thrived. They walked in obedience. They did great things. They lived in prosperity. He dies, a new generation, a new reign. And they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and they served the Baals. God, okay, uh, we're going to serve false gods. Like, how do you think that's going to go for you? And then you see chapter 3. Pick it up in verse 5. It says this, The sons of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jezubites, and God says to stay out of all of that. And they took their daughters for them as wives and gave their own daughters to the sons and served their gods. Verse 7, The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. That's the female goddess. God, you abandoned us. Gideon, that's not how it went. Gideon, that's not the whole story. Gideon, you guys, in this generation, you chose slavery. You chose other gods. You chose curses. And I gave you over to them because that's what you chose. But then this whole story, you back up and the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior, and then Gideon goes into the blame God game and then you see this, the Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of the Midian for I have sent you. Have I not sent you? Gideon, get up. You're the one. It's time to go. And then Gideon goes into his own excuses. Ah, ah, my father, our family is the least in all of Israel. Like we're nobodies. And me personally, I'm the youngest of my family. I've got nothing to offer you. We're nobodies from nowhere. My family got no clout, nothing. My family's got nothing for these people. Me and my own family, I'm the least. Ah, wrong guy. That is what he's saying. Valent warrior, you found me hiding as a coward in the wine press. I'm a nobody. My family's a nobody. Church, don't miss this, please. I love that you see this and write this down somewhere. You've got Gideon's view of Gideon, and then you've got God's view of Gideon. You've got Gideon's view of Gideon. I'm hiding in a wide press. My family's nobody. I'm nobody in the big picture of everybody. I'm a nobody. I'm the least of everybody. Amazing. Even in my own family, that's nobody. I'm the least of the nobodies. I'm the nobody. I'm the biggest nobody of the nobodies. That's what he's saying. This is how he feels. This is his view. I'm the biggest nobody of all the nobodies. God's view is, you got it wrong, Gideon. I'm saying you're a valiant warrior. God's view of you, watch this, compared to your view of you. And then things started coming together for Gideon. He's like, okay. Well, what do I do? Well, first of all, you need to go even into your father's own backyard and destroy that idol to Baal. 
And, and he's starting to build a little bit of courage, but not yet all the way there. So he says, I'll go, but I'm going to do it at night. Like it wasn't like the big charge in daytime going, oh, I got this. Come on, knock down the wood and the, the, the false idols and the Asherah and the bed. Like he wasn't like doing it so proud in the middle of the day, knowing God's charged with it. He's like, okay, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it at night. I'm, whoop, I need to grow a little bit in my courage here. This is a big step for me. I'm going in my own father's backyard to knock down the idols. And he did, and the people came against him. And it's amazing that God's like, okay, Gideon, this is the deal. I need you to go against this mighty army of, of the Midians, the Amalekites, and all the sons of the east. And the Bible gives us this figure of 135,000 of the enemy. That's, that's that which died. We actually don't know how many are in total. When the Bible says it was like a sea of locusts that they, you couldn't count, there was without number. God's like, Gideon, uh, you and your people are going to take them out. Gideon's like, oh, really? And he puts out, you know, the whole fleece test, and then he does this thing, and then finally God is like, listen, listen, at night, the last test, at night, what I need you to do is go right down in the middle of their army. Like, they could see the hundreds of thousands go down in the middle of the army, sneak out at night, and I want you to hear what they're saying. And there was a vision, there was a dream, and one of the army guys was telling his buddy, oh man, we're gonna get taken out by Gideon and his army. I had this dream, and it was just this crazy dream. And then Gideon is like, ah, oh, we got this. The guy's like, okay, Gideon, the deal is this, call out those who are gonna go to battle. So he calls out, he gives this battle cry, and 32,000 men show up to go to battle of a number that we know of, that is 135,000. And Gideon's like, okay, you know, man, there, there's a lot against us. And, uh, um, I, you know, with 32,000, the odds are one in four. One of us for every four of them. Ah, maybe we could squeak this out. We're, you know, guys, listen, they weren't battle ready. Like the army showed up 135,000 strong that we know of. I believe there was more than that. That's just what was dead. These were warriors. These were the army of Midian and Amalekite and the sons of the east. These were guys who were battle ready. What were the sons of Israel been doing? Hiding in caves, hiding in the mountain. They weren't out training. 32,000 men came out of the caves. God's like, ah, too many. You know, imagine Gideon's going, I know there's a lot of them over there. No, Gideon, you have too many. God, I know you know all things, but their numbers, it's, it's one to four. Like right now, the odds are not in our favor. God's like, too many. Tell them anyone who's afraid can go home. Could you imagine that conversation, right? Gideon's walking up to 32,000 men who were ready to go fight. And, and he's like, I hope nobody's afraid. Like maybe I'll leave, a couple hundred might go, but all right, maybe that'll leave me 30,000. Like you don't know what the mind of a, of a, now a general is thinking. Like how many men am I gonna have left? He's like, okay, listen, from the Lord, he says, if any of you are afraid, you're dismissed. All this ruffling, all this crazy. And when the dust settles, there's 10,000 left. He's like, oh, the odds just got a lot worse. God, no, I'm tired, 10,000. Now it's one in 13. It's one of us for every 13 of them. God, this, we don't have many. There's, there's, 
There's not that many of them. Too many. I know. Like their army hasn't shrunk. I know, God, there's a lot of them. No, Gideon, too many for you. Because Gideon, this is the problem. You're a prideful people. And if you were to go and fight them at one and four, you probably thought you would have won that. Had you won that, you'd have taken the credit. Church, isn't it amazing? The God's like, I just want to take an ordinary person who believes that they are the lowest of the low, that they have nothing to offer, and I'm going to ask them to do a hard thing, and I'm going to get all the credit. God didn't need the 32,000. God didn't need the 10,000. God's like, if you're going to win with this many, you actually would have thought that you did something. I need you to see once again that it's me. I'm the one working here on your behalf. I'm the one who's going to be able to set you free as I did in Egypt. I'm the one who delivered you from Egypt. Like, this is a reminder. Gideon, this ain't about you. This is about me getting all the glory and showing you I don't need 32,000. I don't need 10,000. You need to take them down to the brook and you need to see how they drink. And then I'll let you know the armor you're going with. There's been a lot of preaching on this and theological talk on this. Well, some got on their knees and they weren't paying any attention and the others were like these military guys. They were like the SWAT team and they put it up to their hands so they could see and they were always battle ready. I don't buy into any of that, church. It's not here. I don't buy into that. I think God was going to be like, all right, whatever lowest number, we're going with it. I don't think there's any significance to them bowing or holding. Well, like there's all kind of messages on that. Let me make this in about 30 seconds. I don't think there's any significance of that in the scripture. I think God says, okay, which one's the last? Well, there's 300 left. That's your team. That's my team. 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. Can I keep the 9,700? No, I don't need 97. I don't need the 300. Gideon, get it. Gideon, this is about me. Gideon's like, all right, I'll take the 300. God's like, listen, set it up. 100 goes here, 100 goes here, 100 goes here. In the exact moment, you're all going to make a bunch of noise. Gideon sets this military plan at the right time. 300, 100 here, 100 here, 100 here surrounded that field and they just began to make a ruckus because right now, watch, what are the odds? It's one verse 450. It went from one to four. Ah, that's doable. One to 13. Ta-da! Woo! I don't know. One to 450. You lose had it not been for God. God's like, Gideon, you need to see this. I'm asking you to do a hard thing, but I got this. 
Get him asking you to do a thing that is actually impossible with you. One verse 450, not going to go well for you. I got this. They start making all this rustling noise and all this crazy and everything starts happening. It wakes up the, the Midian and the Amalekites and the sons of the east. It wakes up the army. They actually think that the, the sons of Israel are attacking them like right in the middle of their field. And they just begin, it's dark out, they just begin to fight one another. Like the, 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 the army is fighting the army. It's, it's friendly fire, so to speak. They're taking one another out to a point where there's 15,000 left. <laughs> okay. You can imagine getting in the 300 like, God, that was, did you just, whoo, did you see that? Like, okay, God, we, we get it. You, you, you got this. This is about you. you. You really don't even need, you really don't even need us. Church, what is it? that God might be calling you to do a hard thing. You know what, God, I want, actually, I want you to receive the glory from this. God, I want you to receive all the praise from this. God, I know that you really don't need me. But God, I want to walk in obedience because I don't want to be in that lowest point to say, God, where have you been? God, you abandoned us. no. That's not the whole story. But God says, no, listen, you walked in disobedience and I let you have your way. But then you got to that place to cry out to me again. And church, we must, we must take him at his word where he says, Sean, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Sean, I didn't go anywhere. Sean, where did you go? My promise is true. I haven't gone anywhere. Gideon, get up. Gideon, get out of hiding. And he gave him a promise. He says, for I am with you. Church, do the hard thing. If you really know that, God, this is true, and you've called me to do the hard thing, you will be with me. And we see this strength in the 300 that just begins to pursue the 15,000 and it took a lot out of them. And we see in chapter eight, weary yet pursuing. I love that. Weary yet pursuing. Weary yet pursuing. God, I'm tired. God, I am worn out from doing the hard thing. Pursue. Please hear this. They were weary. They were tired. Yet they never quit. Until the job was done. Let me encourage you, man. If you're in the middle of doing a hard thing and you were tired and you were weary, one sentence. Weary yet pursuing. Keep going. If you know that God's called you to a hard thing and you want to start looking at your view of you and not God's view of you, you start giving him every excuse. 
guys like, listen. I know who you are. Gideon, I found you hiding. I know where you're at. Amazing, God knows where we're at. God's view of you might be that valiant warrior and you need to change your perspective to his perspective. Come on, bow your heads, please, for a moment. Just want to pray. Do you know Christ as Savior and Lord today? Do you know him? Church, he loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross for you. We got to come to him on his terms, repent from our sin, believe that Jesus is the only answer and he is the Savior. Call on his name and confess that he is Lord. He is the Lord of Lords. It's you coming under agreement. I just want to join on to a team that exists. You are Lord and I want you to be Lord of my life. If you don't know Christ today, and you know God by his spirit is pulling and tugging at your spirit to say today's the day, then you just simply cry out, God, I am repenting from my sin. I know sin equals death. I repent. I turn. Jesus, you're the answer. I call on your name that you would save me. And today I surrender and call you Lord. I put myself under your lordship in this moment. I belong to you. Come on, if we could just stand to our feet, please. We're going to close in a song, but I want you to hear it. Like, what is God asking you to do? And maybe you have done that hard thing. Maybe you have that wonderful peace of God because you've done that hard thing. But maybe you're in this place this morning or you're online. You're driving in a car. You're like, God, I know the decision I need to make. I know what you've called me to. And today's the day you pull the trigger on that. Come on, as we sing, let's get that right with the Lord. Come on.